brought to you by KillBoringMusic.com, your ally in the crusade against boring music. I'm Joby, writer and photographer based out of Wichita, Kansas. Check me out at BooksOfJob.com. And with me, as always, my co-host, cohort, co-conspirator, Jeff Nail, writer and contributor to The Daily Beast, Billboard, and Vice based out of lovely San Diego, California. Our mission, as it is every week, to share with you our passion for music, tell you what to check out, while also letting you know what's bad, bland, basic, and boring. And Jeff, what do we do with boring music? Uh, we avoid that shit, Joby. That's correct. Think <laughs> of Jeff and I as your metaphorical guides, helping you navigate the murky waters of the auditory sea. We'll let you know what to avoid and what you're going to want to blast to keep your ears ringing. So, Jeff, how are we doing this week? Uh, I'm... I was doing fine. I'm doing really great. The I, I like the uh, your reha- your uh, rehabbed intro. That was that was beautiful, Joby. I, I'm very proud of it. I have to admit, I've I've been rehearsing it quite a bit. I almost know it verbatim, <laughs> not quite, but I'm very close. I must look like a freaking idiot in my car, but I don't care. Yeah. What I was love what it. was what, what was that about an auditory C? We're <laughs> we're helping them navigate the murky waters of the auditory C. Well, I was there going is with a, a whole. Lot. A whole nautical theme. I kind of dropped it after, like, it, it doesn't go, go all the way through the show, but I, I just kind of went nautical for some reason. Well, that works for me, and that's and there's there's a lot of water in that particular particular uh, body, so that works for me. <laughs> there is, yeah, there yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. So how so is this San is Diego our... right now? Oh man, apparently it's already spring. It's seventy two degrees here. Really? Well, isn't that Sorry. Like pretty pretty <laughs> typical? How do, how cold does it even get? Well, I mean, it's February. It's supposed to be kind of cold, but yeah, uh, yeah it just warmed up out of nowhere. So, oh, well, how about you? Is it below zero there or what? What are we talking? Uh, it's actually the last few days have been uh, less shitty. Uh, it, it actually got into the 60s for a couple days in a row. Uh, so people are kind of coming oh. out of hibernation a little bit. It, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It gives everyone a false sense of security. Everyone's like, oh, it's great. It's going to thaw out. Everything's going to be nice now. But yeah, in a couple of days, it'll probably be like 12 degrees again. Time to pay the piper. Well, and and when it gets to be 12 degrees, at least you're, you know, maybe you're catching up on your current listening. Yeah, that's really all there is to do is, you know, catch up on music, catch up on Netflix. You know, you're not going outdoors. That's for sure. Uh, It's just a matter of getting from your car to whatever building you're going inside of. Yeah, yeah. Well, what are you listening to? Should we move on? Yeah, let's go ahead and just jump right in with our, what we're going to call for now, this weekly feature, our musical currents, where we tell you what's clawed its way up to the top of the playlist this week, what's got us hitting repeat, what we're blasting. Uh, for me, I'm I'm actually really excited. I, I didn't p- really plan on talking about this band, but I just found them a couple days ago, and they got me so worked up that I just kind of have to, to talk about them. They're this trio from the Ukraine. And I think when I I asked you about them, I sent you a text and I think you might have thought I was joking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I didn't follow up because the name was so funny. Yeah. They're called Somali Yacht Club and they they build themselves kind of as just stoner rock. Um, But Uh I I think that really kind of sells them short. They have a lot of a like a psychedelic kind of sound to them. They I think in, in their bio, they mention like a little bit of shoegazing, little post metal, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, the best okay. frame of reference I have, I, I would kind of compare them to like uh, explosions in the sky or Russian circles, uh, except with vocals. Gotcha. Um, okay. they, I don't typically like long songs. Like one of one of the one of the 
Job rules in music is that really no song should be more than like four minutes long. That's just kind of my own personal credo. Yeah, I, f- I feel like the line is right at five minutes. If you're going to go over yeah. five minutes, you better you better be doing something really fun. There, really are, there are always exceptions. And, you know, that's, you know, there are occasions where you can listen to something a little longer if they keep it interesting. And Somali Yacht Club is actually one of those exceptions. Um, the song that I was going to recommend, I'm trying to find it here because it, they're they're not really well publicized. I, I couldn't even find a whole lot about them at all, except for their Facebook page and their uh, Bandcamp page. That was really all I could find about them. They've this, got two albums out. I, I'm looking at it right here, and they have an album out just this year called The Sea. So mm-hmm. you weren't kidding about your nautical theme, buddy. Right? Yeah, it just kind of crept over into everything there. Their last album was called Sun. I don't really know what... Uh, Sun. Oh, the sun. I see it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what uh, what it is that they're going for. I don't know if their next album is going to be called like Wind. If they're going to go Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I did find the song I wanted to recommend. It's really uh, I like the song, but it's the only single song that they have on YouTube that isn't in the full album. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's called Blood Leaves a Trail. I see. And uh, like I said, it, it's it's one of their shorter songs. It's a little over six minutes. Uh, the vocals don't even kick in until probably three minutes in, though. So uh, whatever we decide to play is probably not going to have vocals if we go for the first minute or, you know, however long we. Well, how should we do this then? Do you want me to go ahead and just play a minute of it? Sure.
So uh, that's, yeah. What do you Go think? Go ahead. Sorry. You like that? That is. Boy, we're talking all over each other. Yeah, I really like the the sound of the guitar. Uh, that's some good production there, as far as I can tell. And well, uh, over. Oh, go ahead. Well, just in considering you know what small budget I'm assuming they have to work with. I mean, for being that's saying a, something. Yeah, for being you know a pretty new band, and also for being in the Ukraine. I mean, I'm assuming they have to share their recording space with a. a you know, some chickens or uh, <laughs> I was just going to say goats a goat. or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's totally unfair to our Ukrainian friends. I'm sure <laughs> it is. It is. But, you know, hey, low well, they've, low written, they've, written, they've written an interesting song there. I mean, it's it's a little uh, a little um, slower than I would like it. But I, I you know, that's how that's how rock uh, doom rock or stoner rock kind of goes. Uh, but know. I do I do like that. It's dense, but not overwhelmingly so. Yeah, I I just I liked the fact that they just kept it interesting. The album is about fifty three minutes long, I think, and I mean I I've only listened to it a couple times, but I never got bored with it, and that's really saying something for me. I have a really short attention span when it comes to to music, especially. Uh, so for me to to keep interested and keep listening to it really speaks volumes about them. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, Somali Yacht Club. New album out now, I guess. Cool. Um, anything else I should know about these guys? No, no. Does I think that that's it. it. I, I mean, it's it. I think YouTube might be the only way to hear them. I don't know uh, if they have anything on Spotify or not. I guess they we do. Can, they do we, actually. Okay, so we can yeah. link them on there. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Spotify is good. I, and YouTube is uh, just as good usually. But yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, well what's I'm, yours? I'm glad you have some new music because I have um, I've been revisiting some older music. Uh, I've been traveling lately, doing a lot of flying and driving, and uh, via all that uh, downtime, I began listening to a, a really great podcast called File Underwater. And uh, I'm not that's not my <laughs> my current uh, pick, uh, but uh, the podcast did uh, you know uh, inspire here. Uh, so File Underwater is a podcast, and it's a limited series dedicated solely to reviewing the entire discography of R.E.M. Uh, and Joby, you and I were just texting about R.E.M. What's your feeling on them? I, uh, I'm not, I can't really call myself a fan. I don't dislike them. I have a feeling if I actually took the time to dig a little deeper besides the songs I know, I'd probably come away with a little more respect for them or, you know, a little more appreciation for them, I should say, not respect, but um, I, I don't know. They don't do a whole lot for me, to be honest. Okay. R.E.M. is my honest-to-goodness favorite band of all time. <laughs> and, and I'll admit oh. that uh, a big reason is formative, though. It's not, it's not because they can do no wrong or they've written the most amazing music I've ever heard. Uh, but I discovered them in the fifth grade. Uh, and and mm. so, you know, discovering a band at, an, at a formative time in your life, a nascent time, uh, it's sort of, you know, that, that it left a, a mark on me. And it was nice to have, have discovered a band so young and kind of go throughout their career and be able to expand on, you know, appreciating them as you become an adult. And, and you know, looking back on R.E.M., their body of work really, um, it, it looks m more accomplished than it doesn't, if that makes sense. Um I discovered them uh, due to the Stand video from the Green album, which was, I think, 1988. Uh, that record has a lot of elements on it that you normally don't see in mainstream music, uh, especially back then. You know, we got mandolin and li mysterious lyrics that sound meaningful, even though they're, you know, kind of uh, word salady. 
uh, minor key meditations. Like this is a long way from Def Leppard, uh, right. which was my favorite at the time. Uh, anyway, this file underwater podcast is hosted by these two guys from Duckfeed, which I guess is a network dedicated to talking about video games. But these guys raise money to produce this series, and as they go through REM's discography, I've been revisiting some of their records and falling in love with them all over again. And uh, just recently, it's been uh, 1986's Life's Rich Pageant. Uh, you ever heard of that record? I have not. Okay. Let me play a little of uh, These Days, which, uh, again, R.E.M., Life's Rich Pageant. top of their of their powers and not not so much in in uh you know they would they would have millions of records to sell after this one but um in terms of songwriting i don't think they were ever ever a whole lot better than they were right there at that moment 1986 you know i think if i would have not known who that was i don't know if i would have been able to guess rem i uh, i i thought that you know i would think that sounded a little like michael stipe but i really wouldn't have figured from the music that that was them at all um yeah there's a lot of punk energy there believe it or not right yeah yeah there really is i uh yeah that's that's actually pretty surprising to me so where is that in their entire discography is that like the their first album or is no it... that's their fourth record um, really this is this one came right before green and green came right before out of time which was their okay you know mega platinum uh losing right. my religion album well i do remember green a little bit um but yeah i can't were all four of those previous albums all that that kind of uh, energy to them no no actually that's what's been so interesting listening to this podcast is that that rem's career is uh, i mean i'm not saying it's exactly like bob dylan's but it's a little like bob dylan's you know where where there really aren't more than one or two records that are like one another uh and and there are don't get me wrong i love rem but there's some real garbage mixed in there as well um, but they were never afraid to try, and I think that's kind of what made them great. Uh, you know, they weren't afraid to try. Uh, just, just the idea that they made uh, a record or a couple of records that were predominantly uh, acoustic and mandolin and organ, mm-hmm. and you know, and they made huge hits out of that. Even and, and not all those hits are the best, but some of them really are some of my favorite music. Now, one uh, every- one thing I. I- think about you know as you're talking about rem i'm thinking back to when i first heard rem when they were kind of at their peak and that sort of thing and yeah. i know that around the time which i'm sure you'll be able to tell me when uh, whatever album uh losing my religion was on was out that, of time. Uh, that was out of time 90 okay i can't remember exactly 91 sounds right because i remember that i was attending uh cal state university san bernardino when that song was popular and I just thinking about the, the climate, the musical climate back then, 
you know, they actually had, you know, college radio then where yeah. they could take more chances and play a little, you know, more off the wall stuff. I would just wonder, do you think you REM would have the same kind of success in a different era? Or do you think that coming up when they did helped them break through? I don't I actually don't think their era helped them a lot, although in, in their nascent stages, maybe, um, you know, the the. The new sort of well, I guess kind of sort of being in the midst of new wave music or or new romantics or or I don't know stuff stuff like um, Graham Parsons or Television or Patti Smith, you know, all that stuff might have been uh, in service to them. But they really can you name another band that were anything like them in 1991? I can't. No, no, not at all. You know, so really, I think if they came out right now. I, I hate to admit this, but they'd probably be NPR darlings. Yeah, um, that's true. That's about the best I can figure. And the critics have, for the most part, loved REM. So that's that's one thing. But, you know, it doesn't mean they would sell 10 million records, though. Yeah. So Did you ever, uh, did you see them live? Never. God damn it, never. Oh, man. <laughs> I can't remember why. I think I was just too poor when they, the last time they were touring. And they, they split up, um, I want to say 2010 or 11, and they, they finally called it quits. Um, but, I, you know, every, every year, once or twice, I go through an REM phase where I listen to nothing but them for like a week. And, uh, and, but this is, this is getting out of hand where this is pretty much all I listened to <laughs> while I was on my trip to Washington. And, uh-huh. uh, and it, I don't know, I, I'm reading, I'm reading a, a biography written about them called a perfect circle. And, uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really in right now, <laughs> but oh well. <laughs> well, I'll try and, uh, I'll see what I can do. I, I've tried to, uh, keep my word. And whenever you mention a band that you especially like that, I don't really know, or I'm not familiar with, I try and go back and listen to them. Uh, like last episode, you mentioned camp cope. And yeah. I've I've gone back and I've listened to them. I've I've given them a couple chances and I like them enough to go forward a little more. I really really like that song, the opener though. That's the um, one we played on the episode, I think. I thought you played done. Oh, maybe I did. Did you play the opener? I don't remember, but I I remembered hearing the name regardless. So when I went to YouTube to check them out, I listened to the full album, but then I picked that song in particular, and I really like that song a lot. I love that song. Yeah, totally agree. And it's one of the few songs where I actually paid attention to the lyrics, and that made it that much better. She I, she is quietly a, a, a gifted lyricist, and I think she's only going to get better. Yeah. Well, okay, so that's it for that. That brings us to the heart of the episode, a segment we're currently calling The Elephant in the Room, where we discuss our weekly topic that's weighing on our minds, whatever we need to get off our chests. And The Elephant in the Room this week is cover songs. Not as easy as it sounds to pick a top three cover songs. I had a hell of a time with this. There's a breadth of of choices, uh, a plethora of choices here for sure. I mean, I tried to uh, to look up, you know, I Googled best cover songs of all time, you know, and there's a lot of information out there you can go through, but it keeps bringing up the same songs they're all good but you know it's just really hard to find really well done cover songs that haven't already been kind of celebrated by everyone else which i'm still i'm still going to be doing that with one of mine because it's just (laughs) you just can't avoid it my also rands are full of those yeah so and i have to apologize real quick to our listeners here uh if we have any i'm opening a soda 
Oh, no, man, you should have said I'm a done. beer. It would have been so much cooler. <laughs> I'm allergic to gluten, to weed. I can't even drink beer. God damn it. <laughs> that's, anyway, that's... what's your what's your criteria for your top three? Anything? Well, what I did, I, I kind of organized them in order of who did the most to the song, like who changed it the most. So okay. uh, yeah. what I mean is, so like my first pick there, we'll go with, they didn't change it too much, just enough to kind of make it their own. And then kind of progressively, they, they did more, you know, more radical changes to the song. That's uh-huh. kind of what I went with. I, you know, like I said, I have so many that I could have put on here and, you know, being in a band, you know, we both know cover songs are sort of a rite of passage, I guess you could say. Everybody does cover songs for the most part, whether they want to or not. At some point, it seems like you just have to. I don't know. Did you guys play a lot of cover songs? <laughs> we played, it's funny, one of my also rands is the Vandals doing Summer Lovin'. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, the band that you were briefly in, Burn, we covered that pretty commonly, mainly because it fell off the tracks eventually and we ended up um, making a lot of noise, which is really the only reason Burn existed. Uh, so I think we did that. We, I think we did. This sounds weird for the you know the, the noisy band we were because we did we did Summer Lovin', which is from Greece, <laughs> and then we did With or Without You, which is you too. Huh. And that's the only those are the only ones I remember. How about you? Well, I made a quick list off the top of my head of like five, which kind of will show maybe the progression that we went in musically because the first. Well, it wasn't the first band I was in. It was the second band I was in. We, uh, our first gig was literally nothing but covers. Uh, and I remember that we did Mate, Spawn, and Die by the band Lard. Oh, love Lard. And then we did Thieves Yeah, wait, we by should Ministry. explain. Lard, Lard is a super group that involves uh, Al Jorgensen of Ministry and Jello Biafra. Mm-hmm. Right. And, so, and yeah. then you said, sorry, I talked over your next thing. Oh, yeah. And then we did Thieves by Ministry. Oh yes, uh, and of, uh... this was all mostly due to our singer Mike. You know, you you know, you know Mike. Um, yeah. He was he was really into industrial music a lot more than the rest of us. So he wanted to find industrial type music that had like a bit of a metal edge we could go with. Sure. Uh, so that that was I can't remember the rest of our set. I, it was really bad, and I blocked most of it from memory. But uh. Uh, we progressed from there and got a little better. We started covering in the meantime by Helmet. Uh, we covered Territory by Sepultura. Uh-huh. Uh, we did neither of those songs justice at all. Oh, I um, disagree. I saw you. I, I know exactly which band you're talking about because I saw you guys perform in the meantime. And uh, I think I was 16 at the time. And just the fact that you guys could play that song <laughs> impressed me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that's that's very flattering. But uh, yeah, I, I well, no, I don't want to talk too negatively about my old band but yeah i didn't i didn't really think too highly this is, of it, uh, but this is grimoire the, the mighty grimoire yes the mighty grimoire yes and um, fronted by like you said uh michael calvio a dearly yeah. departed uh mutual friend that and but everyone should, uh, should go out and check out uh, michael lewis calvio's books on amazon though yeah he, i think uh, we're gonna probably have to uh, at some point dedicate an entire episode to just him like just I talk about his should. musical influences and whatnot I've got some uh, great stories about Mike too. So that, oh, that's I'm good sure idea. you do. I've got a and couple. Also, also, speaking of drinking beer or whatever, uh, a drinking episode at some point would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to go that route too, where we get shitty and argue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> All uh, right. The, well, anyway. So <laughs> excuse me. Well, where were we? 
Uh, the only other cover song that our, we uh, played, it was after we uh, replaced Mike with someone else. Uh, we, we got uh, we went in a more punk direction and we started covering uh, Metro or in. Uh, is that the name of it? Just Metro by Berlin. I'm not familiar with Berlin, really. We Beyond, um, uh Top Gun. We were we were pretty happy with our version of it. And uh, we even recorded it when we recorded our demo. And then, then System of a Down came out with a version of it, and theirs was so much better that we just had to stop playing it. <laughs> we were like, God damn it. So, all right, fine. Someone else and did the, that song. This band is the AYP then, Angry right. Packaderms. Angry Packaderms, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had, uh, we had we went in a little like uh, more uh, lighthearted direction, a little more punk. So, yeah, we just yeah. tried to punk up Metro a little bit, and it was cool. It just... Uh, yeah, once we heard someone else doing it way better, it kind of took the wind out of our sails a yeah. little bit. So uh, you said there were five, though. Did you did you say all five? I did. Oh, gotcha. Okay. There, yep. Well, and like and I think you're. I guess I guess I agree that that discovering cover songs is kind of I hate to use the word formative yet again, um, but but they do kind of tell a story, mm-hmm. right? I mean, in terms of who you were. Uh, at the time of the discovery. Hey, have you actually discovered when you were young, I- I'm assuming this happened because I know it happened to me. You heard a song, thought, oh, that's great. And you know, and you see who, which band it is. And it isn't until much, much later that you realize it's a cover version to, to begin with. Yeah, that has happened quite a few times, actually. Uh, it's, it's it's kind of interesting when I do find out it's a cover. And then, you know, you, you work backwards and try and figure out, you know, if you like the original better or if the cover was, you know, an improvement on the original. And it usually is not. Yeah, right? usually. That's why. Uh, that's why when there are good cover songs, everyone seems to, uh, you know, kind of laud them so highly, and and that's why it's so hard to come up with a list of original cover yeah. songs that maybe are off the beaten path a little bit. Yeah. Well, in my criteria, because it's so difficult, um, I, I decided I'm just going to pick the three most interesting uh, cover songs. Not not necessarily the best. Um, and you know, like you said, it's it's so easy for these these cover songs, the ones that are so widely you know well regarded, uh, that it, it just starts to be boring. Um, so keeping it interesting is what I try to do. Otherwise, it would just be like, yeah, my number one is Jeff Buckley. Hallelujah. I'm sorry. That's that's absolutely a better version than the original, and it's a gorgeous production, and it and it beats uh, anything else I can think of. Jeff Buckley was amazing. You know, you familiar with that? I'm assuming. Yeah. But yeah. that that song has just been fucked into the ground as well. Right, so exactly. It's no fun to talk about it, really. Yeah. Well, I'll go ahead and uh, and kick things off. And like I said, th- so this is a, this is a song that the band didn't do a whole lot with it. They did just enough with it to make it their own. I would say. Before you uh, tell me what it is, are we going to have any crossover? You think? I think we might have one. I that's I was I was just thinking that. All right, what's your number three? Uh, it is by Social Distortion, and it's oh. them covering the Rolling Stones under my thumb. Absolutely. I, I don't really, I mean, I like the Rolling Stones, but I don't care for that song too well by the Stones. And I think that their version is is much better. And it's actually probably my favorite Social Distortion song. I'm not a huge Social D fan. So when I heard this and I actually liked it, I was really, really surprised. I, I agree with you. This is this is definitely an improvement on the on the original. 
I, I, and I, I'm sure there's a lot of Rolling Stones fans out there that would disagree with that. But, you know, this is early Stones, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And a yeah, lot of is. early Stones is like Ruby Tuesday can just suck off, you know, like, <laughs> right? no, thank you. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I, I, under, their version under my thumb sort of reminds me of Ruby Tuesday kind of era. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's so, pretty yeah. close. And, and they keep it succinct. It's like less than three minutes, it looks like. Yeah. See, again, that, that's in tune with my with my uh, your rule, my whole <laughs> yes. rule. So, yeah, it's perfect. Okay. Well, should we play some? Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Here we go. Under my thumb, the girl who was me down. Under my thumb, That is uh, as good as I remember. That's 1996. What's the White Light album? White Light, White Heat, White Trash? Yeah. Yeah. Which I really I, like I, that record. I'm not familiar with it. I, I really don't think I've ever listened to a single one all the way through, to be honest with you. Oh, really? I was uh, I was working in a record store when this came out, and we, we really spun it to death. It's not perfect. There's Like, this song uh, is... The arrangement's a little sloppy in the beginning, Um you know, even I, I don't know why I remember this, but the drummer on this record is Chuck Biscuits, formerly of uh, Danzig. And he's a good drummer. And uh, I, I remember re- listening to this and thinking, oh, man, this actually isn't the best place for him, I don't think. It's a little a little clumsy here and there. But when the song really gets going, it's it's got all the energy in the world. Isn't it interesting? I, I've. I was thinking about this last week, how different drummers can actually, you know, bring a, bring or take away a certain energy from a band. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I went to see, you know, Avenged Sevenfold last week and uh, their current drummer is uh, Brooks uh, Wackerman, Wackerman from, yeah, yeah. from uh, Bad Religion. And, and uh, Suicidal? I think he was in Suicidal too, yeah. And anyway, you know, when, yeah. when they announced him as their replacement drummer, a lot of uh, fans really didn't have faith because they didn't think a punk drummer could cut it with, you know, the, 
the double bass and the whatnot, you know, for the metal playing. And he, he really rocked it, man. He, I think he might've been the most talented musician on the stage that night. I've seen the, yes, I, I covered, I covered the Metallica concert when it came to town and I saw them not, I'm not a fan of that band by the way, but, uh, Brooks, Brooks is, uh, more human than human. I think he's, a he's less of a drummer, more of an engineer or something. Like, I think he could probably play just about anything. He could probably sit down sit in with Meshuggah mm-hmm. uh, or some other crazy, dense, complicated, you know, band. Uh, but yeah, he's great. Yeah. How do we get well, on what, this tear? <laughs> uh, we're just senile old men. Uh, yeah. what, what's your number three? Oh yeah. Oh, so, so, uh, social D. Okay. Got it. Uh, let's, so I'm actually a little unsure about my number three. I have so many also rands, but like I said, I'm going to go with interesting. Um, and this song is a cover of The Clash. Uh, they have a song, The Clash recorded a song in 1979 off of their seminal album, uh, Lennon Calling. And it's a song called Lost in the Supermarket. Are you familiar with this? No, not at all. It's a, It was a strange number for The Clash at the time since it's kind of a down-tempo tune and it's has sort of an end-of-the-credits vibe to it, kind of a meditative sort of thing going on here uh but the clash despite being the most important punk band of all time as far as i'm concerned you know they uh, just like rem maybe they never you know they never shy away from mixing it up and trying new things so uh but anyway uh, a favorite band of mine covered it in 99 uh for a tribute album uh, to the clash and they are uh, ohio's own the afghan wigs um you heard of them i do yeah i've heard of them i'm not real familiar with them but i know the name at least yeah i've been a fan of them for a long time um so uh, the the song is about feeling lost in consumerism, and it's funny because I, I only recently learned that. Uh, I, I sort of always thought it was kind of a breakup song, <laughs> but I, I, th- I think every I think every song I like, I think, oh, that's a breakup song. Uh, but anyway, it was written by Joe Strummer in a way that compares his childhood uh, as feeling lost due to you know screaming neighbors and not understanding things as a child, but then uh, also being lost amongst the capitalism that all us adults inevitably get sucked into, uh, hence lost in the supermarket where you buy things, I guess. Um, the lyrics are pretty poignant, though. Uh, I'm all tuned in. I see all the programs. I save coupons from packets of tea. I've got my giant hit discotheque album. I am uh, uh, an empty bottle. I empty a bottle and I feel a bit free. The kids in the halls and the pipes in the walls make make me noises for company. Long distance callers make long distance calls, and the silence makes me lonely. I'm all lost in the supermarket. I can no longer shop happily. I came in here for that special offer, a guaranteed personality. Uh, so anyway, here is uh, the Afghan wigs covering that song.
sure if you're hearing that well enough to really have an opinion, but the, are you familiar with the original by chance? I am not. No. Oh, okay. What did you think of that? I thought that was cool. Is it a, a big uh, departure from the original, or did, you know, did they change a lot to make it different? They changed it enough to make it their own, uh, at least partially. Uh, it's it's a lighter rendition than the original, and it's produced different. You know, there's about twenty years, uh, twenty years in between the two, so it automatically kind of sounds brighter just in production. But uh, it's that bass line uh, that that gets me. Uh, it's it's like um, uh, it, it's this. It, it just—I love it when a baseline pulls everything together, you know. And if, mm-hmm. if you're if you're good enough to pay attention to it uh, in the mix, it, it will do you a favor on this cover. So, right. not, not my favorite cover of all time. Obviously, it's not my number one. But I wanted to highlight the Clash. Wanted to highlight the Afghan Wigs. Uh, the Afghan Wigs are are uh, pretty damn good with their covers. Most famously, uh, they, you know, they covered. They like actually covering uh, female-led groups. Uh, they they covered TLC's Creep. Uh, oh, no kidding. Holes Miss World, and uh, most recently they've covered Drake. Not that he's a woman, but <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it just made me uh, – I didn't mean to list those quite in that order. Sorry about that. Um, uh, by the way, I have to tell a quick story here. I saw them in 1998. Uh, they were in support of an album called 1965. And uh, every time I see Greg Dooley play a show, whether it's the Gutter Twins or the Twilight Singers or – the uh, the Afghan wigs. I all, I walk away thinking that was the best goddamn show I've ever seen, and that show in '98 uh, was the first time I think I ever saw him, and it opened with them covering Curtis Mayfield's "If There's a Hell Below, We're All Going to Go," and it was the sexiest thing I had ever heard at the time. I think. Um, anyway, I won't go on much, uh, go on much about the wigs because uh, I'd bet dollars to donuts that uh, I'll be bringing them up again on future lists. But I I can um, tell I can tell you will. Yeah, they're good stuff. How about you? Number two. Uh, my number two is uh, actually a fairly recent. It's the most recent song I have on the list. It's from t- 2017. Um, now, this it may not be fair to include this on the list because it, it has uh, such a heavy connotation to a TV show. Um, you know, songs that have a certain... Uh, attachment you know to tv shows or movies it's almost unfair because it it gives you a whole another level of uh, significance but um be that as it may i think even aside from the tv show listening to it independently on its own it's still you know pretty pretty good uh it's a cover of uh, the band america their uh their hit a horse with no name and it's by michelle branch and patrick carney from the show bojack horseman uh, I've never heard of that show. Uh. <laughs> well, you should check it out. I, oh, wait. I, it's my favorite show ever. Suck a dick, dumb shit. You and your wife, Casey, are perhaps a little more astute when you watch this show than me. I don't know. I never realized until today that on Horsin' Around, Bojack's <laughs> character literally the, was just called The Horse. Yes. yes he he sure was, was a horse with no name. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I had you no know, idea. I don't, think I, I don't think it ever really sunk in until now. I mean, I definitely so remember that. When yeah, they and, say, hey, aren't you the horse from Horsin' Around? They're literally <laughs> calling him by his character. <laughs> oh, God, we could do an entire 
different podcast just on BoJack Horseman. I, yeah, I we, we may we may have to. Yeah, we're gonna have yeah. to at some point. But I you know I listened to the original uh, and this one side by side just to see if it was legit. You know, if it wasn't just me tacking on extra meaning to the song because of the show and the episode that it's in. And I really think it's far superior to the original. Uh, it, it's you know it's an okay song. I think the original is fine. But I like this the original. One, yeah. This one is just a lot more somber, a lot, uh, a lot moodier. The, the original's got kind of bright actually, and kind of upbeat almost. And and Michelle Branches is a lot, uh, just a lot darker sounding, and I really and, like it a lot. And this is Patrick Carney of the Black Keys. Yes. Okay. Which, uh, so he, I guess, is kind of the de, de facto uh, leader of the musical department for the show he composed the opening theme he seems to have a hand in you know some of the songs so i don't know what part he plays in this song to be honest i don't know if he plays the drums on it or or what he's doing why his name is attached necessarily uh michelle branch does all the heavy lifting but uh, regardless they are co-named as uh you know co-artists on the song so performers yeah yeah i really i think it holds up really well though i think it's a song people would really like song so you you said you think this is better than the original yes right yes it, is this i mean is what's the best thing about this is it, it the, is it the production is it because the i don't know I, I can't gather my thoughts on this this doesn't seem better than the original to me i don't something don't about her so. affect is kind of breathy and that bumps me a little bit uh it, the production is is obviously better than you know it was in 1971 or whatever, which is kind of unfair to the originals. But when it comes down to it, have they changed it enough here for you? I guess they. I guess that you already answered that, though. They have. Well, I just think it's like kind of the aesthetic. They just kind of. Uh, it's just a little moodier sounding, and it's just a little, uh, kind of uh, a little darker. I guess is the word I keep wanting to go to. It does I, seem darker. Yeah. I just like. Yeah. I just. I just like the production of it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, God. I'll have to give it a few more listens because I want to love it. Um, but it's yeah, I, I think it's just her vocals. They're bump. Hey everyone, this is Jeff here. Uh, we somehow screwed the pooch on this episode, and we've got a big gap in audio here. So uh, we're just going to fast forward a little bit to my number two. Uh, with our apologies. It's interesting. Uh, it's a cover by the band Helmet. 
Uh, do you know? Nice. Do you know the one I'm talking about by chance? They've done a few. I have a feeling I know it, one it could be. I'm okay. not entirely sure. Helmet, uh, for those that don't know, is a noise rock outfit from uh, New York City who broke out in the early 90s. Uh, if you're not familiar with Helmet, they're not for everybody. Sort of a maybe a proto-metal, for lack of a better label, bludgeoning riffs, uh, blistering solos, but those you know a lot of the guitar work is often you know blitzes of screaming tones if not atonal um leader of the band is Paige hamilton uh who ruined the band sound and continues to ruin its legacy to this very day somewhere around 1998 uh but Agreed. he has a he he has a background in jazz and i think he even went to juilliard do you have any idea if that's true? I believe you're right. If not Juilliard, a different prestigious, you know, like Berkeley uh, music or something. Yeah. yeah, some academy. Uh, but what he offers is something separate from jazz. Uh, although, as I mentioned, his solos do remind me a little, at least a little bit of free jazz. Uh, but anyway, uh, Helmet had a really good thing going for about I don't know six years or so, and then. They've they've really gone off the rails since the original lineup uh, broke up. But uh, considering their noise, noisy bona fides, bona fides, it was surprising to find uh, in 1996 that they covered of all people Icelandic singer Bjork. Are you are you aware of this? I am, but I don't I don't know for sure that I've actually heard the song. Okay, this song, the song is called "Army of Me" and was originally recorded by Bjork for her second album. Uh, she says of it, uh, imagine you're in, uh, imagine you're in a club full of heavy metal types and grunge people. Army of me is like someone's granny blasting out over the PA and saying, snap out of it. Stop whining, wash your hair, smarten yourself up. Uh, so despite the fact that Bjork at the time anyway, was sort of a coquettish shy performer that made softer music than helmet. Uh, this song kind of fits the heaviness of, of the band. Uh, Bjork says that the song was written as like uh, advice to her brother. I guess her brother was out of sorts, as she put it, and uh, she was daring him to make a life for himself and move on from being the way he was. Uh, it, it is a strange interpretation uh, because you know B Bjork's mo is that of you know synthesizers and I don't know processing. You know, it's, it's pretty. I mean, she. I guess she does use a lot of strings, but it's. It, she's mm -hmm. a far, a far cry from a rock band. Uh, Definitely. So yeah. this is a very different version. Uh, did you know the original by chance, Job? No, I don't. It it is a heavier song for her, but mm -hmm. no one. I don't think anyone ever expected there to be a hard rock metal version of a Bjork song. Ever. Right. But uh, this is Army of Me, and it, it is it is a, a heavy one. I do love this song. Here it is.
about that bass, huh? Yeah, I'm digging that. So is that the original lineup then still? It is. I'm pretty sure because this was released in 96 and that, yes, because the original lineup was still recording in 96, 97. Um, okay, yeah. they, they put out Aftertaste, I think, that year in 97 and okay, uh, yeah. and toured and broke up. And uh, Paige has been touring with, uh, I think, a revolving door sort of policy with musicians in or out. I actually saw them last year here in San Diego at the Casbah. And, you know, as fun as it is to rock out, it's it's hard to appreciate today's helmet, uh, knowing yeah. where they came from. Uh, they did they, right. Nothing they do comes close to what they did. Yeah, I agree. It, it's it kind of it kind of breaks my heart because I, I don't know if you're aware, but back in the heyday, uh, I I was about as big a helmet fan as you could find. I mean, I loved helmets so much. I I really thought they would break through and be a little more mainstream. I didn't think they were going to uh, kind of fade away like they did. But yeah, anything current is just, it just makes me sad. It's one of those things where once a musician becomes comfortable or rich or, you know, this isn't always true, of course, but, uh, you know, once he, once Paige Hamilton sort of figured he knew everything, uh, Mm -hmm. the songwriting just went right out the window. Um, and I, I always felt like he just needed to work a little bit on his voice. Like I, I found it kind of endearing at first that he couldn't really sing. Well, he, it was buried in the mix in the earlier records and it didn't matter. Yeah. But, but then yeah. when recording uh, production, you know, uh, standards went up. Yeah. It's like turning on fluorescent lights and you don't want that if you're a helmet. Right. I, uh, I think the last, the last thing I heard of theirs that actually sounded good was them playing old songs, uh, and it still didn't sound that great. It was when they played live at uh, at KEXP Studios. I saw that on YouTube. Uh, oh, and, really? Uh-huh, and it, it sounded fine. Uh, it's serviceable, you know, I guess, but the songwriting yeah, is, is where... But I, the, his, the albums is what I have a hard time with. His his voice has just deteriorated so bad, and it, it wasn't good to begin with, so that makes <laughs> it that much harder to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, I, uh, I was... One quick aside to this song, um, it, there is actually not that not that Bjork's version was a cover, but I, I guess I read that there is a sample in her version of Led Zeppelin's "When the Levee Breaks," and oh. uh, you can definitely hear that in the drums, uh, played by my in in the cover version by my my uh, all time drumming hero John Stanier of Helmet or formerly of Helmet, currently of I don't know a number of bands, Battles, Tomahawk, etc. Um, so anyway, I, 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 I love how you can hear the influence of that song when the levee breaks in there. Right. It's, it's pretty evident. You know, I was just talking to a, a coworker the other night about helmet and I, uh, I brought up John Stanier because I told him I, I really don't think helmet would have achieved the success they did without him. There's something about the riffs that Paige wrote with the, you know, with all that breathing room in there. Yeah. That that his drumming just complemented perfectly, and I don't think another drummer could have done that. You know, in in the early mid '90s, uh, I had just taken up the drums, and um, the, the <laughs> I don't know how big of a community the music journalists who write for music magazines, and I don't mean like Rolling Stone, I mean like Modern Drummer and Guitarist magazines. I don't know how big a, a, a you know a swath of people that is, but the narrative they had decided to go with at that time is double bass or no double bass. 
And, uh, and, and because John Stanier was my hero and because I didn't know how to play double bass, even though I loved Vinnie Paul, uh, and, and the like, uh, even, even Lars's early drumming in Metallica, but they, they pitted those two against each other. It was Vinnie <laughs> Paul versus John Stanier. And it wasn't even, I don't oh. even think it was that shitty. I don't even think that they talked shit, but I think there were a few comments by others maybe where, you know, I think the, the story was double bass is lazy. Uh, you're not actually really playing anything there. You're just blasting the audience versus uh, essentially the other side was pussy. You know, right? <laughs> it was sort of old school versus new school, too. So, yeah. Yeah. I remember that even in regards to like punk drummers, you know, because uh, I oh God, I believe his name might be Eric. Oh, I, I'm drawing a blank. The drummer for no effects. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, not sure. What, what did uh, he say? He, well, it wasn't anything he said. It was just the fact that he used a uh, he had a double pedal. Okay. Because they played so fast that for him to play the punk type, you know, type beats properly, he needed double bass. You know, he couldn't play it with one foot. Basically, it's hard. It's very difficult. Yeah. And people, yeah, would talk about whether or not that was uh, kind of selling out or you know whatever, being a kind of a puss. Yeah, uh, kind of funny to look back and think that's all that yeah. they had to talk about. <laughs> uh, by the way, I just looked him up. It's Eric Sandin or Sandin. I'm not sure how you say. Okay, it, but you were right about okay. the Eric. So anyway, that's my number two. Okay, so now we're at the number one, and this is where I'm wondering if we're going to have uh, a little bit of crossover here. Um, I actually mine... thought I don't think so. Because the only one I thought might have been a crossover was the one I just did. Ah, uh, okay. No, the only uh, helmet cover I was really uh, f- aware of was, uh, God, didn't they do uh, a Wire cover? I don't know about the Wire. I know they did um, a cover of Sabbath. It was Lord of This World. Uh, right. <laughs> it featured on the Johnny Mnemonic soundtrack, the only place you could get it. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> we shouldn't linger too long on helmet. Maybe we could edit some of this out, but... Um, it, it was it was lean times to be a helmet fan in the in the 90s at least most of the yeah. 90s if you remember it was like you had you know by 94 you had three records but only one of them was good all the way through and then they didn't do singles or soundtracks very often but when they did they were always good that that milk toast song on the crow was excellent yeah and then they did i want to say it's a song called disagreeable for there's a movie i think it's another keanu reeves movie called feeling minnesota i never god that never even occurred to me they've, they've contributed to two keanu reeves soundtracks i wonder if there's more which huh what if that's a coincidence how weird that's just so strange i mean not that strange but still i never what a coincidence if it if it's uh if it is one huh wow. all right well anyway what were you saying uh, well, uh, so I'm going back to uh, 2002. Uh, this is going to be uh, produced by Rick Rubin, and it's it it's the oh, most obvious. I know, I know what this is. Yeah, boring. It's the most obvious. You know, I can't help it. It's a great. It's just a great song. So we're going with Johnny Cash's "Hurt," you know, covering yeah. Nine Inch Nails. I just, I mean, just, I mean, part of it, I guess, is because of the uh, the way the video ties into it. It's hard to imagine the song without the video for me. And it just, uh, oh God, it just uh, kind of packs an emotional wallop that uh, other other songs can only hope to ever touch on. Now, I, 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 yeah, I wonder what the, the video is. It's like a lot of close-ups of his wrinkles in black and white, right? 
Yeah, they filmed it actually at his, uh, I guess at his house, either his house or he had a kind of a secondary location full of his uh, mementos and, and that sort of thing. So it's it's almost like a retrospective, like it oh, shows clips of him. And this is your life. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this was just, a, I believe, a couple of months after uh, June had died and he was really in bad shape himself. I think they had barely managed to finish recording this album. Uh, it was on uh, American Four, The Man Comes Around. And, uh, A pretty yeah, good Rick record, I'd like to. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the, yeah, the, the video is just kind of heartbreaking, man. It just, uh, it's almost hard to listen to sometimes. But uh, it's just, I mean, in terms of taking an original changing it to make it your own i mean even you know trent reznor said he was he was kind of reserved and didn't really want johnny cash to do it but uh you know once he heard it he kind of just conceded like this isn't even my song anymore this is johnny cat this is johnny cash's song from here on out yeah johnny has a way of doing that actually yeah yeah you could do oh god we could do a whole episode on johnny cash cover songs for that matter well yeah these amer these uh american uh albums were chock full of of decent covers i remember yeah. i actually saw him in i want to say it was like 97 uh, i think on his last tour so i'm at the greek theater in la and uh and it was before he recorded hurt although i can't imagine that would have exactly brought down the house maybe it would have um but it was right. it was one of those times where I just got lucky. I was I was working for a ticket scalper at the time and I probably got I don't know, 15th row at the Greek. And nice. and it was it was pretty great. Um and even even at his age, I think he was probably 70 something by then. Uh no slouch on stage. Uh, whatsoever. So anyway. All right, should we listen to her a little bit? Sure, why not? Uh why don't we stop it just before we cut our our wrists? How about that? That sounds good. The only thing that's real The needle tears the hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything what have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all. thorns upon my liar's chair full of broken thoughts I cannot repair I can't get past the the weight of this of just the composition you know I, I even I mean I can criticize this uh, plenty I you know there's things about it i don't like but this song 
I, th- I want to say, like, you know, as long as someone's doing it where they sound authentic, it's going to get you in the feels, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. And boy, I mean, yeah, it's just... Uh, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go so far as saying it gives me goosebumps or anything like that, but it's just hard not to kind of uh, feel a little something when you hear that. Well, that the, and you could have it all, that, oof, makes the, that'll make the hair stand up on my neck every time. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, um, I still am stuck on what you were saying about seeing him at the Greek. I um, I have to tell you, I would say on my top five things uh, of what I miss about California. One of them is the Greek theater. My favorite large venue by bar none. Uh, yeah. I, I miss seeing people there and I just miss the whole experience the way it was there, you know, at the park and the, the observatory. I just, I miss everything. Whenever I see a movie or a TV show shot at the observatory there, I just, uh, yeah, I just miss it so much. I loved going there so much. I've never seen a bad show there. I've seen Wilco that were they were amazing. I've seen The White Stripes, uh, Nico Case, uh, Johnny Cash. Who else did I see? Oh, The Cure. The Cure were really good. Oh, one real quick thing. Not that this is important to note at all, uh, but um, the Johnny Cash show was the concert where I believe I had my one and only celebrity sighting at a concert, and I stood next to uh, next to an actor in line to get a beer by the name of Steve Buscemi. Oh, well, no kidding. <laughs> hey. You're doing good. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Let's go some of the best guitar player in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Self-taught, no lessons. Thank you very much, Pop. Yeah, this is, but this is back 97. Well, he'd been in Fargo by then, so he was a pretty big deal. Did anyone recognize him? Yes, actually. He was, I think he kind of had an entourage. Or, it's funny, you're, you're an actor and it's an entourage. You're a regular dude, you're just with your friends. So I don't right. know if that's fair to call it an entourage. But he had a bunch of people with him. Um, so I'm not sure how many of those were just well-wishers and fans. or, or Right. What, but, but anyway, uh, by the way, before I forget, uh, oh, were you going to say something? Oh, I, I was going to relay my celebrity sighting at a concert, but go ahead. Let's No, let's hear yours. That's good. Oh, I uh, I went to Podcast see Slayer. Gold. <laughs> <laughs> sure, he went to see Slayer. I went to see Slayer at the uh, at the whiskey, and uh, wow, I was that's down. a that's a brave endeavor, buddy. <laughs> well, it was it was a good show. It was Slayer, and uh, the opener was Unsane. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, with Oh, I love that band. <laughs> yeah, it was a <laughs> well, great I, show, man. I like that band a lot. <laughs> I I was I was really uh, really an uh, altered level of consciousness. Uh, I did it. I actually did a, a little interview with an internet uh, magazine. Um, this was, I mean, this was God, probably '95. So the internet wasn't even in everyone's homes yet. Yeah. And uh, this lady was, well, anyway, I, I'm getting off topic already. Anyway, the point is, I was down on the floor watching Slayer, and I turn around, and Scotty Ian's behind me. <laughs> Scotty Ian of Anthrax. Yeah, and he's got this girl. A member, uh, a member of the big three, if I'm not mistaken, right? Well, I guess if it depends who, how many bands you count, the big four. The big four. Oh, you, so we got Slayer, Me- Slayer, Metallica, and, and who's the third usually? Megadeth. Megadeth. Gross. Yeah, I know. I, I don't really, I wouldn't necessarily count them. But anyway, there was a girl there uh, just hanging off of him, just flirting. Uh, and from what I could tell, he did not know this woman from anyone. Like, she just <laughs> saw him. And wanted to, you know, and, and the look on his face was just classic. Like, bitch, please, I'm trying to watch Slayer here. Yeah, yeah you like were he th- could, 
could not be less interested in this girl hanging off of him. And yeah. I thought that was hilarious. That, well, that's yeah. When you're a rock star, it's a hard it's a hard life, man. Right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'd like to point out before I forget that um, when I first heard this song years ago, I thought, oh, this is weird because Johnny Cash is like super religious. You know, he, he hasn't really. It, it's a strange choice to cover this being the Nine Inch Nails, when it, especially when it was written and released in 1984 originally. Um, you know, Trent Reznor was this kind of scummy drug addict self-loathing you know fuck uh right that just it just seemed to thrive off of of self-loathing and and i thought you know johnny cash is mr christian and everything this does but really they both have quite the history of of drug abuse don't they yeah they do johnny cash was definitely not uh perfect by any means and then and so and this is a song about drug abuse i hurt myself today so i so that i can still feel so yeah, kind of does fit. It's a nice ar- arrangement where it's a sparse beginning with the guitar, and then that piano kicks in, and it builds and builds and builds. Yeah, it builds to the point where it's just uh, kind of distorted, actually. And yeah, uh, it's it's a really interesting production. Yeah, I think well, we could actually do an entire episode on Rick Rubin as well. Now that I think about it, oh, top top three Rick Rubin tracks or albums or something. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Um, so I guess you've changed, you've changed my mind here because people go on and on about this and I've, I've sort of forgotten how good it is. Yeah, it was, it was just the, you know, I kept looking at, uh, the same songs over and over when I would check, you know, like people's other lists of good cover songs. And this was just the one I couldn't ignore. I just, I, I had to relent and just go with this one for number one. Well, and it's a good number one. You've changed, you've, you've changed me, uh, changed me over here. My number one. (laughs) Yeah. You win, you win the podcast. (laughs) Uh, well, and, and my number one, um, is probably one you've never heard. Uh, it's, it's a cover that's been with me since I discovered it right around my senior year of high school. I was probably after that, but anyway, um, it's a cover of the Smith single "How Soon Is Now." Do you know? Do you know that song? You know what? I actually just listened to this song today. The Smiths the, version. The cover. No, the cover. Oh, you did. So you're familiar yeah. with Quicksand now. Uh huh. Did you know them Quick, before? Quicksand is one of those bands that I was aware of, but I didn't really listen to a lot. Somehow they just passed me by. I could um, see how that's possible. You know, they, their build is sort of a, a hardcore band, but that's not really at all what they sound like. They only do that because uh, singer Walter Schreifels is, um, he, he formerly of Gorilla Biscuits, uh, who, you know, was sort of a hardcore punk band back in the 80s. But Quicksand, mm-hmm. while being heavy, they're very palatable. Um, it, it's not it's not as heavy as, as any most other hardcore bands. So... Um, they kind of came up with the Deftones uh, in, in in the in in sort of the corn era of metal, right? Um, and and that's probably why they were not successful is because they were too too soft. But uh, I don't think they're too soft at all. I think they're a pretty talented band, especially that Walter Schreifels. Um, anyway, uh, oh man, I just I just reminded myself of a song that probably would have made my top three. God dang it. Well, anyway, we'll get to that later. Um, so this is Quicksand is a heavy band from New York City. I just call them a heavy band. They're they're not really metal. They're not they're not n- none of the labels really make sense to me. But right, yeah. The song itself uh, was originally released on Meat Is Murder, the Smiths' 1985 record. 
Uh, I believe that's pretty widely regarded as being their best, uh, if, if yeah. not close to it. Um, and that version is a dreamy, kind of surreal pop song, uh, complete with a ton of reverb, and, and Morrissey singing about a shyness that is criminally vulgar in his usual fashion. Um, it's, a, it's a really good song. It's probably one of the bolder songs that the Smiths ever recorded. Um, you know, like, I don't think, I don't, as, as great as Johnny Marr is, I don't think he resorted to, to bar chords very often, but he, I think he definitely is in this one. Um, I do love the Smiths. They're one of my favorite bands, and it is rare that a cover of a song that I already love ends up striking me as anything but garbage. But Quicksand's version sounds like a motivated rocker, and uh, it's always lifted my spirits. It's always struck me as a defiant song of sorts. Right, uh, at least yeah, their version. I can see that. You know, and, yeah. and and that's not really what the original sounds like at all. So this this definitely qualifies for my number one. I believe this is available on YouTube, but I could not find it on Spotify if you're looking for it. So Okay. Uh, let me play a little bit of it here. Yeah, let's hear it. Shut your mouth. Uh, it sounds different than when Morrissey sings it, you know. So this is this right. really qualifies as uh, my favorite cover because they've they've they paid tribute almost n- not at all to the original, right? And I, I yeah, like they, that. I like that. No, this is ours now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna just gonna go ahead and take this now. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a little unfinished. Um, I, I think it it got barely past the demo uh, part of the recording process. I think they had uh, originally tried to record this or just recorded it um, when they were recording their first album, Slip, which is a great record. Um, and they they released it as a B side on the single for Dine Alone from Slip. So. Um, I've seen Quicksand once. They were okay, but it wasn't that long ago. So I don't know. Um, I don't know if that that's indicative of how good or how good they weren't in in their uh, previous incarnations. So huh. anyway. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that. I yeah, like I said, when I looked it up, I I saw the album cover, and you know, from working in a record store, I was like, oh, I remember that album cover, and uh, but I don't ever remember listening to it. So I'm gonna have to go back and actually check out the rest of their work. It's a I deep. Have a it's a I'm deep. Like it. It's a deep find or deep dig or I don't know what, what I'm trying to say here, but because it, it didn't re, it didn't show up on the major records, it only showed up in this one single, and uh, and nowhere else. Huh. So I I only came across it because uh, I worked for a major. Well, like you, we both worked for major chains, but the major chain I worked for, uh, this there was this one guy that worked at another music store, a blockbuster music store. And he made these mixtapes. I uh, remember tapes, mixtapes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where he did, um, he would, he would sort of highlight, uh, you know, genre specific kind of things, 
especially if it was like a new musical trend that that everyone should know about, and he sort of became the authority. I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Matt, maybe, but I have the somewhere around here. I have, uh, you know, the the track list of all these covers that he put on this mixtape, and this was my favorite for sure. Nice. So maybe oh, I like maybe it. Maybe I'll read those down in the uh, in the runners up. Yeah. Well, speaking of runners up, I, you know, I, uh, there are a ton that we could have put, you know, it's so arbitrary to a point, you know, you could put a lot of songs on this list, but the two that I had uh, the most trouble deciding whether or not to include, I almost took off social distortions uh, cover and put on motorhead doing whiplash by Metallica. Uh Oh yeah. 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 I'm not a huge motorhead fan. But I tell you what, Whiplash, it sounds like the greatest Motorhead song never never written. You know what I mean? Like it sounds like perfect for them. It's it's, it's so almost much like going it's almost like going backward, you know, the band that influenced you is covering your your yeah. your song. It's like Metallica wrote the perfect Motorhead song and you know, maybe didn't realize it. I don't know, maybe they did, but it, yeah. it fits them perfectly. Uh, and then the other was going to be uh, Aretha Franklin who in respect because that is just uh, that's a fantastic song that, and that she, is absolutely she on my runners up she, yeah she made that her own uh, clearly but yes. uh, what were your other runners up what did you have I have a bunch I mean obviously Jeff Buckley's hallelujah is a, is a far superior version to Leonard Cohen's um, yeah who, who wrote it and originally recorded it I have anthrax on here for bring the noise um, but when it comes down to it that's not a very fun listen anymore yeah and it's more of a collaboration than a cover. Right, yeah. Uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix, All Along the Watchtower, originally recorded by Bob Dylan. Uh, mm-hmm. Cake, Cake doing I Will Survive. Um, John Coltrane doing My Favorite Things. You know, and that that's not like, I'm thinking, you know, like My Favorite Things from The Sound of Music, but he, he makes it his own there, for sure. Nice. Uh, Aretha, uh, Girls vs. Boys did an interesting version of My Funny Valentine. Uh, Helmet actually did Lord of This World, as we brought up already. Yeah, the Vandals, as we brought up already. The one I thought of while we were talking was uh, the band Far. Uh, they covered a really good song by Jawbox called "Savory" with um, the Deftones, and it's it's probably as good as the original, if yeah. not a little bit better. And finally, I have uh, Typo Negative. Not a good band, not <laughs> uh, a good band at all, really. Uh, but they covered Black Sabbath, originally recorded by Black Sabbath. And they actually dubbed it, they renamed it Black Sabbath, and parenthetically they called it from the satanic perspective. Uh, and and it's, it, when I was 17 years old or 18 or whenever I first heard it, it's, it literally scared me. Uh, it was the kind of song you couldn't listen to in a dark room. And, uh, and, and I do think it actually ended up being one of the better things they ever recorded. Um, it's on the... Um, Nativity and Black soundtrack, or uh, not soundtrack, the tribute album for Black Sabbath. It's it's also found el- elsewhere, but it's uh, every Halloween I bust out that one. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, gonna have to check that out. It's kind of nuts, but it's it's the good kind of nuts. So, yeah. Nice. Well, okay. Well, that about takes care of that. Well, uh, everybody, you did it. You made it to the end of another episode. Uh, congratulations. Uh, here's <laughs> yes. a. <laughs> it's it's a matter of attrition sometimes, but you did it. 
Well, and tell your friends. <laughs> yeah, you and you know, yeah, and then speaking of which, you know, that reminds you know, gives us a friendly reminder. You know, follow us on all the social media at the Ringing Ear Instagram and Twitter, Ringing Ear page on Facebook. Uh, you can hear past episodes, access our current uh, our concert album reviews, um, our Spotify playlist for each episode, the featured music videos, all at killboringmusic.com. Your ally in the crusade against boring music. Uh, new this week, we have the Avenged Sevenfold Breaking Benjamin review of that concert here in Wichita. I put up a review for NERD's last album. Uh, and, you know, anything anything you need to find for your non-boring music needs. I, I have to thank you, Joby, because I've been so busy lately. I haven't been able to write a thing for the website yet, but I will take care of that soon enough. Matter oh, fact, you know, it's actually been nice. It's been it's been a fun challenge to make myself kind of listen to more music, actually. I, I do think uh, that once your wife gives birth, we may just have a role reversal. Yeah, because I think you might be my, right. My kid will be close to a year old, and hopefully I can you know throw money at the problem at that point. Uh, and, and you will be drowning in a sea of, of shit and puke. Well, where, where I'm lucky, though, is that, I, you know, I have a job that allows me to, to kind of do, you know, other things. You know, since I work nights, it's, it's slow. So I, I can still probably crank out the occasional album review. Uh, what's going to be more difficult, though, is the concert reviews. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm going to have trouble. That's why I'm trying to hit as many as I can uh, now. So I've got uh, one next week. I'm going to go up to Kansas City for that. Uh, it's uh, New Politics, and the band that I'm supposed to be shooting is called Dreamers. Okay. I'm going to check that out, and then I might be going to Pink here in a couple weeks. Pink. You know, um, yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and see, I think that's, that's fun, because even if that's garbage, our listeners should know that that's garbage. But I'm willing to bet, you know, big concerts are sort of hard to hate sometimes. They're such a production. Well, and that um, that was, you know, I just looked at it strictly from a photography point of view. Like, I, I think at the very least, it should be fun to, to photograph. You know, I may not enjoy the concert, but I can leave after the first three songs if I want to. Well, yeah, certainly. Definitely. So, uh, well, yeah, yeah, I thought it'd be worth it. And, All right. Uh, um, well, yeah. And actually, I just read the Smashing Pumpkins are, will, will be coming my way in the yeah. fall, I think. And uh, I'll be really eager. I, I've gotten a lot of shit for liking the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, but um, and and probably rightly so, somewhat. But um, they really, man, talk about a great live band. They absolutely shred. I just cannot. You go back to the that video they released in '94, '95 called Viewphoria, and and they they absolutely uh, tore every venue down that they played. It's it's you never guess knowing the you know the melancholy. Smashing Pumpkins, but um, mm-hmm. I'll be really eager to see Jimmy Chamberlain behind the drum set again. And, and even though Billy is a complete narcissist asshole, um, you know you can't can't argue with good songwriting when you have it. So I'll be interested to see them. And and luckily, Joby, my wife just said last night, although I got her a little drunk, but she's like, "You really do need to go to more concerts and cover the." Um, yeah, okay, sure, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> whatever you say, yeah, yeah, whatever you say, dear. <laughs> Well, that's so, good. Yeah. Anyway, well, also, listeners, you can uh, submit your unpublished music uh, uh, to us at killbornmusic.com. Please do that if you're so inclined. And uh, if, if, give us the opportunity for us to review, praise, eviscerate, whatever, and uh, and use some of your music on the show, whether it's garbage or not. Exactly. Although, boy, Joby, we've been listening to some real—I don't want to be this guy, but geez, 
it's it can be really bad out there. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that as the show progresses and as we gain some listeners, we'll get some more uh, so, some more submissions that are a little more uh, palatable, I want to say. Um, I also, I found a resource here locally. Someone took it upon themselves to start a local locals only radio station here in Wichita. It's an Internet radio station, but it's solely bands from uh, the greater Wichita area. So I can uh, maybe sort of cherry pick bands from that oh, okay. instead of wait, waiting for bands to come to us. You know what I mean? And I think eventually uh, we'll get out of this whole San Diego slash yeah. Wichita rut and we'll, we'll you know, put out some some ads to other places. Yeah. But, yeah, I think as listenership goes up, we'll see we'll see better stuff. But who do we have today? Am I am I doing this or are you? Uh, no, I'll do it. Yeah, we've uh, we're going this week with a band called The Visitors spelled with an E in place of the O. I guess that's their take on uh, edginess. I don't. I don't know the thinking there. Uh, but we're gonna <laughs> listen to their track "Play the Riff," uh, and they they're from. Are they from San Diego proper they are, or they somewhere? They are from San Diego proper, I think. Okay. And what uh, what do we know about? I don't really. Rem- I don't. I heard a part of this earlier, but I don't really know much about them. Do you have any? Just they're a three-piece reggae rock band based in San Diego. First album coming out soon. That's all I've got. They've got all of Do four you... likes on Sound SoundCloud. So let's let's get. Oh uh, well, more. we can bump that up to at least six. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, is there? Is it just me, or do you just automatically ha- have more respect for for three pieces? Yeah, I sort of do. And, you know, I'll go you one further. Uh, two pieces. Uh, I saw a couple of times in the last year and a half, two years, Local H play. Have you ever seen them? No. No, I haven't. I mean, good God. That dude, they they are the probably the hardest working rock band in the world right now. Because the, the, the lead singer and guitarist, he actually plays a guitar that he's he's somehow outfitted himself to cover the low end of a bass as well as the normal range of a guitar. Oh and, right, uh-huh. and the and the drummer is one of those drummers that's straight out of the Muppet Show. Oh uh, wow! You know, and they they really are a fun band to watch. I, I if they ever get the chance, I'll never never miss them. They're so much fun. So yes, two pieces, three pieces, absolutely. Yeah, whenever I hear a band and I like it, and then I see them and I realize they're a trio, I just automatically think hi- more highly of them. I I don't know what what it is about that. It's so easy to suck when you're three or fewer people you know so you really have to work hard to not suck i guess so anyway okay so playing us out this week is the visitors their track play the riff um that that does it for us here so uh here it is and this is joby this is jeff we're reminding you to keep fighting the good fight reject the rudimentary slay the simple murder the mundane and kill the boring and by god be sure to keep your ears ringing we'll see you next time If you ask me what I see, take a look outside and breathe the air I breathe. You see planes go by, then they disappear. No, they won't make it out alive, have nothing left to fear. Play the riff, my friends, the best is yet to come. Let's forget about the bullets They shot a man without a gun So let's play for the world It needs a melody, yeah Let's play for the world It needs a mind and me Let's play for the world It needs a melody, yeah Let's play for the world It needs a mind and me
you were me, what would you do? Just sit back at home and talk about the news. Being carried away by one not to hear. Hanging by every word they say, do wish me well, my dear. Play the riff, my friends, the best is yet to come. Let's forget about the bullets that shot a man without a gun. So let's play for the world.